Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens. Sitting across the desk from me, as usual, is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, good evening, Brother Nathan. And good evening to those who listen to the program. Thank you so much for allowing us to be at home this evening. Again, we're glad that you are listening. But two things. Make sure that you encourage others to listen. And also make sure that you don't just listen, but that you interact with us. Maybe it's something that Pastor says that you're a little confused about. Maybe it's a question you've had about the Bible or question about life that you've had, we would love to hear your question and answer it from a biblical worldview. Before we jump back into our topic that we were discussing a couple of weeks ago, we have a couple of questions that have come in here. Uh, First question says, good night, Pastor. I have a question. What do you understand of this sentence? Caribbean culture helps reinforce insularity among ethnic groups? Um, Caribbean culture, was it? Helps reinforce uh, insularity. Insularity among ethnic groups. Uh, there's se- several things I'd just say about that very quickly. Uh, number one, I think you've got to look at the Caribbean as being a melting pot of a lot of different ethnic groups. For example, you've got Africans, Indians, you've got Europeans, uh, European stock, you've got Chinese, you've got now the Middle East, uh, especially from uh, like Syria, etc. And now you have a, a, a seems to be a, a big sector coming from South America because of all the revolutions and, and so on. Uh, so you've got a divergent uh, cultural mix within the the Caribbean. Uh, those different ethnic groups um, have brought over, whether from Africa or India or Europe or China, China whatever it is, they bring over certain um, cultural things that were common to their culture. They bring over to the Caribbean. So you've got this 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 kind of a mix. So you, you're not going to have a unified Caribbean culture. It's virtually impossible because of this this kind of mix. The other thing I would like to say is that we also are divided in terms of religion. You got Christianity, you got Islam, you got Hindu, and of course, um, you also got the different cultic groups within the setting. So you not only got the ethnicity, which is um, these divergent groups from different parts of the world, but you also got four different competing uh, religions, basically for the uh, um, devotion of, of the um, populace within these different countries. And then, of course, you have the divisive politics. 
there are certain countries that, uh, for example, I can think of Jamaica, sorry, I can think of uh, Trinidad, and I can think of Guyana. There is a, a group, a party that would be represented by the Indians. That would be their party, basically. Majority of Indians would go to that party. And, and, and not the blacks were the other part. So Indians, uh, Guyana is pretty much divided into Indians and, and uh, blacks. Trinidad is similar. You've got a certain group that the party is more Indian, and the other side is, 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 is more black. So you, you've got this, and, and politicians stroke that. So if you want to talk about unity and, and so on and so forth, um, politics would have to change. And rather than make it either ethnic, um, identify with an ethnic group or a racial group, you have to just see us as Caribbean people, which I don't think we're there as yet. But that is a, another factor. The other thing is that we are all independent states. There's no, nobody says that I'm a Caribbean person. I'm a, a Barbadian, or I'm a Antiguan, or I'm a, Vin- a Vincentian, or Kitishan. Uh And so even though we belong to the same region, Really, truth and fact, there's no such thing as a Caribbean identity. We still we, we, we don't have that closeness. We don't have that connection. Every country is independent, and because every country is independent, every government is looking out for their country. Uh, and we are competing for the same product, basically, tourism. And uh, there there's some that would give them certain... Um, uh, to get the boats come or to get um, tourists come or get uh, airlines come, they make, I mean, there's no set fixed rate of charge. It's every man for himself, basically. So you've got that, that, that competition. And then the other thing is our geography. Let's face it, we're separated by the sea. So it's not as though Jamaican could walk over into Antigua or vice, vice versa. And unless we can solve that problem by having some kind of a um, Caribbean airline or Caribbean boat service that would allow that kind of close integration where we can, and it had to be very um, reasonable. It can't be the rates it's at today. I mean, who wants to travel these days? It costs me more to go to Barbados from Antigua than to fly to the States. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. So it doesn't encourage me or, you know, and if you're a Caribbean person and it's a reasonable rate, when you take your vacation, there's nothing wrong with going down to Trinidad or going to space, but when it's going to cost your arm and a leg, you have to think uh, twice about that. So that's another thing that's against, against us. And then the other thing, Nathan, is the, the divergent levels of development within the Caribbean. Not every island is at the same level of development. There's some that are far advanced, some that are still making it. Be- because of that, those that are highly advanced try to protect the jobs for their people. Those that are not uh, highly advanced are trying to get out of their country to come to this country to advance. And so you find that there's an antipathy that develops between the the, the, the country that is developing and, and making progress against the others coming in. They don't see themselves as West Indians. I'll put it this way as well. They don't see themselves, even as Africans, that we all, they all come from the same 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 place, basically. Don't see it that way. So this, they've got this still, this this ill will you're coming to take my job it's not as though you're my cousin coming over and we're going to help you it's not perceived that way so that's another big big problem so I would say that um, these are some of the factors I think that uh, divide us and that um, um, create this idea this insularity that she's talking about because the culture is such a diverse and it's not a unified uh, culture and uh, the, the other thing, Nathan, is that 
Um, we don't have like a, a Caribbean passport. I mean, that would certainly, if we had that, that would mean no free movement. You had to worry which you wouldn't tell me I belong to Antigua, I belong, you know, I belong to the Caribbean. That is not theirs yet. So that is another uh, big issue that I think that needs to be. So I think if they can solve the identity problem, that uh, see the region as a Caribbean people, we can perhaps have a Caribbean passport, et cetera, et cetera. We can bridge the gap between the islands by having a regular transport system, whether by air or a boat. And by the way, this will also increase trade because uh, everything, I mean, take Antigua, you get a lot of stuff coming from Dominica. There's a lot of stuff that can come from St. Vincent and from St. Lucia as well that will bring down prices here. Uh, but for some reason, uh, that is not possible because of the, the high rate of freight, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I must say, though, that attempts have been made to try to integrate the, the countries. You've got the CARICOM, you've got the OECS group, and they're allowing free movement of capital so that um, one country can invest in another, etc. You've got that. You've got free movement of people, but not 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 in every area. Um, those within the OECS, with those countries, you've got free movement. But those who are not within the OECS, even though you're within CARICOM, you can't f- have free movement into these islands. So that is a problem that needs to be worked at. Um, the other thing is that, I mean, they've tried to also bring Caribbean together by sports. That's why cricket is so important. People don't understand what cr- cr- cricket does, but it really integrates the, the countries, and uh, Caribbean people love cricket. It's kind of a, a, a joint magnet, etc., and that helps with the u- unified people. Um, I don't go for this one, but that's why they have carnival as well. Uh, uh, because everybody comes over one island to the other, the mixing, et cetera, et cetera. And then they have Cari, uh, Cari Festival, uh, where they get arts festival and display and stuff like that. And the other thing that they've tried to do is, is to integrate the educational system. So we got the CXC, yeah. we got the UWI. All of these are a system designed to bring the, the countries uh, uh, together. But I think the biggest problem that um, that they face is the family unit. You can't talk about um, integrating if the family itself is not even integrated. How are you going to now reach out? For example, uh, take take the, uh, if I might use a very good example here, take the uh, Syrians. You could pass almost any Saturday and pass by a Syrian home. They always have like two or three families together sitting down in the, rest, in the front house the, I mean in the veranda they, they might be playing some games they might be sharing some drinks whatever it is but there's that kind of a camaraderie you go outside the Syrian community and try to find that you only find it in the, in the rum shop but that's not what I'm talking about I'm talking about families coming together with families and integrating and talking and, and relating that doesn't exist now, it doesn't exist because the family unit itself doesn't really exist uh, as a as a, as a co- Co- um, cohesive group if we can solve that kind of a, have a close family then you've got a neighbor you reach out to your neighbor but if you yourself don't have a very close family uh, there's no desire to reach any place else where are you going to reach you don't, can't even reach your family so I think that's one of the big things that need to be uh, looked at very very carefully and uh the other thing, besides the Spanish, and besides the, the Syrians, the Spanish are like that as well. You find that Spanish people are always very clannish because family is everything to them. Uh, but in the Caribbean, that doesn't really exist. Um, so I think the culture itself, with all of this fragmentation, really, actually um, fosters this uh, insularity. And they're trying to integrate, but I don't see how you can actually integrate with the family not intact. 
I think that is a basic unit. If we can solve that problem, and by the way, that will solve so many problems. If we yeah. can so- solve the educational problem, the immor- immorality problem, the population uh, explosion, it will solve a lot of problems. So our, if I was a government, that would be my central focus. Uh, how do we uh, rebuild the family and create a good family unit within the uh, and by the way, that would change so many things. Uh, for example, I hear people talking, we want to be a, a Singapore. <laughs> I laugh every time I hear that uh, the Caribbean islands are, and the truth about Singapore is Singapore is just an island, basically. It doesn't have any resources. It imports everything it needs to do, but it's, it's a fantastic manufacturing uh, thing. And it has, those people have discipline, uh, uh, Nathan. If you visit Singapore, I've never been there, but I've seen pictures of it. It is pristine. You can't go and mark up a wall, you get licks or you get something. Mm-hmm. They take law and order, and they have a very, very strong work ethic. That's why a small country like that uh, could be exporting all over and have such a good economy, because of the work ethic of the people. But again, it comes back to the whole matter of the family. The word in that question that I struggled with there, insularity? Yeah, insularity basically has to do with isolating. Okay. Uh, that's what it went to, insulating. So what the culture is not a magnet to draw people together. Because of all the ethnic groups we have and the differences and the, the political turmoil that we have, uh, sometimes, as I said before, if you're in Trinidad, for example, one group is really the Indian Party, one group is the Black Party. In, 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 it's not so much in Antigua. But again, uh, you still have a lot of problems here in Antigua because 30% of the population, I understand, are people from I- immigrants. And I think Antiguans view that as these people are taking over jobs, et cetera, et cetera. There's not this concept of that we, uh, you know, we're all from uh, from African a- extract, so therefore it's like my cousin. That's not the mindset. We're still thinking in terms of Antigua, St. Lucia, St. Vincent, Barbados, Trinidad. That's how we're thinking. And I don't see how that can happen if there's not more uh, in, uh, integration. And integration can't happen if the people can't go from each other. That's where you need a good transport system, whether by air or whatever, and make it affordable. And, and, and again, you can have people, um, you know, if the hotel rates were reasonable for the Caribbean region as well, you can have people saying, you know what, I'm going to have my vacation, I'd rather go to the States, I'll go to Antigua, whatever it is. But politicians would have to sit down and really look beyond politics if they're really concerned about the whole matter of how do we integrate the whole the whole the whole matter and how do we integrate the economies as well because there's certain countries that have economies of scale and what i mean by that is that they have certain they take jamaica got bauxite you take uh, guyana guyana is so rich in terms of resources but some of the islands uh, like dominica you got rain almost 24 I mean it's just falls you got all how do you allow one country to concentrate on something another country on, on the other thing so that you can maximize economies of scale how, how do you do that if you have this idea that we're so isolated and it's, and it's Dominica I can't let long pro- uh, progress and uh, I can't say okay I'm not going to do this and let them do that because that's their forte let me do something else we're in a tough situation let me put it that way and I just don't think that um the culture itself is not that blended. That um, and, and I think a lot of politics has a lot to do with it to keep the people divided, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so it had to have a whole different mindset, I think. You, you mentioned a Caribbean passport and how that would give uh, unity and ability to transfer or to travel between islands. From a pastor's standpoint, knowing what the Bible teaches of a one-world government 
mark of the beast, that all progressing. If they were to announce tomorrow, we have a Caribbean passport. Does that make you at all nervous? No, it doesn't make me nervous whatsoever. None, 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 none whatsoever. Um, I, I believe that I'm not for the, the um, government in the Caribbean surrendering their sovereignty to outside powers like the UN, for example. Uh, we have a, a gentleman in our church, as you know, that keep reminding us that these people who are non-elected are now trying to impose their agenda on the Caribbean islands, and our leaders don't push back. I mean, we did not elect anybody in the UN. We elected people in the Caribbean. We must have Caribbean interests. And, uh, and that is what has happened. But again, it's always a carrot, the handout that we need. So they put pressure on us that if we don't uh, adopt their social policies, et cetera, we're not going to get aid for this and aid for that. So they really, you know the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Yeah. And believe in me, it, it is very, very, very true. It's the money that is used to as a, a means of getting people to conform to the will of these uh, stronger nations and these multinational uh, organizations. And I, I, I just wish that our people in the Caribbean, especially our leaders, would listen, we have a distinct culture. We're not for this junk that you guys want to put in. If you Europeans want to go and do that and end up uh, you're killing each other within five, before you're 50, you're dead. That's for you, but not for us. We don't want any boy being a girl and a girl being a boy. We don't want this kind of stuff. If you want that, that's for you, but not for us. But I don't think they have the intestinal fortitude to stand up against that kind of agenda. So I'm not against integration within the Caribbean that we can move free. As a matter of fact, I think it'd be good for the gospel. I think when people want to go to Trinidad, for example, to do like evangelistic work, you've got to get all kind of fancy permit. You know, you just can't mm-hmm. come in and just do that. You've got to get permission for the government to come in. If you're going as a missionary, for example, it's much more complicated than, than, than in Antigua. Uh, and I think with that kind of a, approach, you could move within the island if you want an evangelist or a pastor, whatever it is, without having to go to all this rigmarole. Uh, so I'm not against that, but I, I'm against us surrendering our sovereignty to these multinational um, companies and these uh, big super um, organizations that uh, put so much pressure upon us. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you have a question, you can call and ask it live on the air by calling 268-462-7420. If you want to WhatsApp or text your question, send it to 268 268- Seven eight two one four five four, or you can join us on Facebook Live and comment your question right there on the Facebook Live video feed, and it'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy live on the air. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is seven fifty. We've got an hour and ten minutes left in this episode, so be sure that you stay tuned as long as you possibly can, and also invite others to tune in. If you have a question and you're thinking, you know, maybe I should send this in, go ahead and send it in. Uh, If you have a question, I can almost guarantee that someone else or multiple other people have that same question or have been wondering about that question, and we would be glad to answer it from a biblical worldview. Thank you to the individuals who have sent in their questions so far this evening. We have a Facebook message that's come in, Pastor. I heard a preacher, and this goes back to the topic you were talking about last week with uh, divorce. I heard a preacher say that the sin that God does not forgive is blasphemy, 
Then you are forgiven if you divorce, especially if it's the wrong partner you marry. What do you think of this statement? I think it's a dangerous statement, to be very honest. I'm a little embarrassed that a pastor would make those kind of statements, which would almost give people the leeway to divorce who they want to, and so on and so on. Therefore, the, the idea is I can be forgiven, therefore I sin. That is not a biblical concept whatsoever. Romans um, 6. Yeah, it, it, it's... it's uh, disappointed. Uh, that's why I think a lot of people who are in the pulpit should not be in the pulpit, to be honest with you. I just think some of these people are what Jesus called them, hirelings. And he warns that um, this is what would characterize the end times. And I think this way we are at this moment. Look, the point we're trying to make, the Bible does say there's only one sin that would not be forgiven, and that is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. There's no question, neither now nor in eternity. But that is not a basis or rationale for divorcing your wife because you can be forgiven for adultery, therefore I go ahead <laughs> and, and do that. Um, we are here to follow biblical mandates and biblical imperatives and biblical injunctions, and we are given very, very clearly in the Bible what are the grounds for divorce. What are the grounds for remarriage? I, we don't make those principles. We don't concoct them. They're Scripture themselves. But look, the Bible calls our faith the obedience of faith. What that means, faith that leads to obedience. That is what true saving faith is. Faith that leads to obedience. So when a person gets saved and have genuine faith, that person will have a desire to obey God. I can't think of anybody who could ever get saved who say, you know what, I, I, I get it saved, but I couldn't care less what God said. Anyone that tells me that, quite frankly, I will tell them they have a bogus confession, a bogus profession. It's not real, it's not authentic, etc., etc. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell the person. He's called holy because he's sanctifying the believer. And part of his word is to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, to help through the sanctifying process. Jesus said, now you're clean through the Word which has spoken unto you. That's what the Holy Spirit wor works in our lives, to, to, to clean up our lives and, and to, to get us having a biblical perspective and have a biblical walk. Uh, so I, I, I think it's a mistake. I think it's a, a fallacy. Um, uh, and the other thing is this. Um, you know... How 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 does how, what morale, what standard of morality is there that I am deliberately uh, using the fact that God is a forgiving God to sin against the very word of God that God has given to us and given certain directives? I mean the, that's an anomaly. It's, a, it's an egregious error, and uh, quite clearly, it is alien uh, from Scripture. So I think the pastor who made that statement ought to be defrocked. That's why I feel about people like that. Defrock. That is removed from the pulpit and maybe go and sell insurance or do something else. But they're not helping God's people by making those kind of statements. They're encouraging sin and encouraging adultery and encouraging, encouraging divorce. And that is not what the church is all about. For the listener that says, Pastor Murphy, I'm in transition right now between churches. How do I know whether the church that I am going to or am looking to go to whether the pastor is a pastor that should be followed? I would say that one of the crucial things is the Word. Listen to the Word. Uh, if you're going to ch transition to another church, visit that church, listen to the pastor, hear what he says, what he preaches, and judge what he says by the Word. So you yourself need to know the Word to know that when the pastor is preaching, whether or not he's preaching the Word or not. But to my mind, that is crucial. Uh, is he truly teaching 
the Word of God? Is he expounding the Word of God? I think that is very, very crucial. The other thing I think is very crucial is the people in the church. Do they make you feel welcome? Do you go there and do you have a sense that, that you know, you're not like a stranger? Uh, they approach you, whatever it is, they say hi to you, they check, check your hand, tell you that. I think that, that that kind of a spirit is there. And um, the other thing I would probably, as I keep saying, and this will take a while when you're there, but listen if they got a missions program. I think that is, I mean, I say this so often on the radio because that's what the church is about, going to all the world and preach the gospel. How can you have a church that is the Church of Jesus Christ and have no desire or no supporting of missionaries, I can't figure how that is possible uh, when that's the main calling of the church. So I would want to know if they've got a missions program, and that is very, very, very crucial as part of the the, the, uh, the church's concern. But those are things that I think are very crucial, the, the message that the guy is preaching, the spirit and the camaraderie, the people, the, the, the love that is there. And I do think the missions program. There are other things as well. I mean, if you've got a family, you've got young people, you want to know if they have a, a youth kind of youth program to help with the youth, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's important. Um, if you've got small children, do they offer Sunday school? I think that is also important. But above all else, I think it has to do, the centerpiece has to be the preaching of the word. That has to be what nourishes you and feeds you and edifies you. If it doesn't, uh, the music may make you feel good, but you can't live on music. You can't live on music. Man should not live by bread alone, not by music alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So that's why it's important. Uh, the preaching is important and the teaching. You're listening to That's Truth, and I don't know where you're listening from. I don't know what you've gone through this week. I don't know if it's been the best week of your life, if it's just been a normal, so-called normal week, or maybe it's been the absolute worst week of your life. But I am thankful that you have taken time out of your busy Tuesday evening schedule to listen to That's Truth. Not just to listen, but to interact with us. You can call and ask your question live on the air, 268 462-7420. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. If you have a question, but you want to make absolutely sure that it doesn't get traced back to you at all, by the way, we have a call screener. She screens the calls. She sends the questions to me via the ones that come in, WhatsApp or text message. I don't see any phone numbers or any names or anything. But if you put at the beginning of your WhatsApp or text question, anonymous, or want to remain anonymous, she will not even uh, put on there based on the area code came from Antigua or came from Finland or whatever country it may be around the world. Uh, it will just be a question from a listener. And we want to say thank you in advance for your questions. If you have a suggested topic that you would like us to consider discussing in a future episode of That's Truth, please share it. We want this program to continue to be as practical as possible, and the best way to do that is to discuss things that are on your mind and on your heart and are being discussed in your home and in your workplace. We have a number of uh, some material to go through. We were, not last week, but the previous week, Pastor, you started talking about the subject of biblical separation, a subject that really we don't hear taught a lot about in today's Christian circles. Um, can you give us a brief overview of why you're discussing this and what you mean by separation? Yeah, we thought that um, this would be a, 
good subject because, as you said, very few people even discuss it, talk about it. I'm not even sure that even people are aware that the subject exists in the Bible. Uh, so, um, outside the Baptist circle, uh, and uh, maybe some of the other um, reform groups, this is not a topic that is very commonly discussed because the whole idea is a lot of these other churches are ecumenical. In other words, you come together uh, as one and they think that unity uh, is what is the absolute essential. But our Lord emphasizes truth. There must be unity around truth. And where there is um, differences on biblical truth, uh, there needs sometimes to be a separation. So when we talk about separation, we're talking about uh, believers um, setting themselves apart from um, sin, the world, and uh, error. And in some cases, separating from uh, other Christians, and certainly uh, what is called ecclesiastical separation, coming out of church churches that have begun to become become apostatized from the faith or are no longer teaching biblical truth. So separation really is the believer coming out uh, of situations that are contrary to Scripture, and um, coming from. Uh, things that people practice, uh, people engage in activities like that. That's what it is. It's basically the idea that um, another word that we could probably talk about, Nathan, is holiness. That's what separation is. The word for holiness, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, really says set apart. And so that's the basic principle of separation, that God calls his people out and separates them from the world unto himself. That's the biblical concept of, of separation. And, of course, that doesn't mean isolation. That needs to be very, very clear. It doesn't mean that we cloister ourselves somewhere in a, a cave like the, 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 the monastic movement. Uh, that's not what we're talking about. We're supposed to be light and salt. We are light of the world and the salt of the earth. Now, we can't be light and salt if we withdraw, withdraw our presence. So our presence has to be there. Uh, so we're not talking about isolation, uh, isolation from the, the world itself and the uh, and, and, and sinners. But we are talking about separating from sin, worldliness, uh, believers who are walking contrary to the norms of Scripture, and churches and organizations that no longer hold the biblical doctrines and biblical standards. That's what we talk about, separation. You referenced that there's three levels or forms of separation. Can you give us a little bit of, remind us what they are, and then expound on them some? Well, basically there is um, moral separation, where we separate from sin and worldliness. There is uh, personal separation, where we separate from other believers. So that's one that I think people might find very difficult to believe that the Bible says, yeah, you must separate. And then there is doctrinal or ecclesiastical separation where you actually separate from um, church movements or parachurch organizations, even even schools that were once great schools that uh, taught the, the fundamentals of the faith. Uh, I don't know if people know this, but Harvard University, yeah. Princeton University, Yale University, all of those were started to train ministers. All of those were song fundamental schools at one time. Now, quite frankly, they are apostate. Uh, their seminaries are totally apostate. So, and again, uh, churches that would not want to support those ministries because all of those ministries were started. Churches support the building of those ministries. They had a problem sometime years ago with the Southern Baptists as well. I mean, you have a lot of very good Southern Baptist churches, but they were allowing apostate to creep into the school. Uh, Dr. Beale wrote a book, House and Sand, about the uh, the 
South, uh, Southern Baptist movement and the schools and quoted in his documented book that what was being taught in the schools, including evolution, questioning the Bible, etc. And there was a, a big furore about that. I, I, I think it's been resolved somewhat, but that was the problem with why uh, some strong churches did not associate with the Southern Baptists. It's not that they were not good Baptist churches, but how can these good Baptist churches, because it was a cooperative program, you send money to the organization, which support all of these universities. So the problem is, how can a church that believes in the Bible be supporting a school that is undermining the Bible? Yeah. And that caused a division. I believe it is somewhat resolved. But that's what I'm talking about, Nathan, uh, you know, that good institutions that once stood very firm, moved away from the faith, and now they become institutes of learning, and the theological seminaries are the hotbed of apostasy. And then, of course, they diversify because they're no longer getting students in, in, in theology. They're now going to different areas like accounting and, and that kind of thing. So it becomes now no longer a theological seminary. It broadens its curriculum because it's losing its students. Nobody wants to go any longer, but it has to survive. That's how these things happen. But it, it needed to be stopped. And the only way to stop it was that the churches stopped supporting it. When you dry up the money, those people can't continue. But unfortunate, uh, for some reason, which I can't, inexplicable reason, I, I don't, don't understand why it was perpetuated so long and why somebody didn't nip this thing in the mud and get, the, get these, these universities back in line with biblical truth. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, it's a very serious problem. For the listener who says, Pastor, I'm listening, I'm not even in the Caribbean, uh, the head of an organization, maybe it's a parachurch organization, maybe it's a church, maybe it's a school. How do I make sure that I stay on the straight and narrow and true to what God would have us do? Look, the, 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 the greatest um, asset that we have today is something called the Bible. We have to judge every movement, every church by the Bible. We can't be captured by personalities. And you can have a very dynamic personality. You have people today who have a slick tongue. They've got ball bearings between and etc. They just, I mean, they're just, they're very good speakers. That's no question about that. But that's not what we are drawn to. Our commitment is to God and His Word our commitment is not to men unless those men are following the scriptures so my first commitment is to God and his word and then if my pastor is there he's following the word that's where my commitment my commitment ends when he when he deviates from the word of God and go off trail I no longer have any commitment to him period that unfortunately I don't think is the mindset that is within churches outside the Baptist circle there's something about the, the personality that's there that anything he says goes. And sometimes what I'm hearing going on in some of the churches, I scratch my ear. I can't believe the people don't even know what is happening. They have no say about money, how it's spent. They don't, I mean, I can't believe that this could be happening, to be honest with you. There's no accountability because the leaders do this, right? I think that's one of the biggest errors that we had. The other thing, Nathan, is that uh, you've got to make sure that when you, are, when you have a, a church or a school or you have a whatever it is, uh, you've got to make sure that who you're bringing in there that is going to be teaching, if they're teaching theology or whatever it is, that they are teaching orthodox 
doctrine that they fall in line with your doctrine, your teaching. Now I'm talking about the, the primary school now where you're teaching math and English and so on and so forth. I'm talking about seminaries that are training men for the ministry or ministries involved in reaching people for Christ. It's important to hear that person's testimony, how they got saved, and also important to know what's the biblical view of the Bible. And uh, they should have at least uh, some core doctrines that you that align with yours. Without that, I think you may be bringing in people that could create problems for you. If you're enjoying Pastor Murphy's teaching and you would like to hear more of it, you can tune in on Sunday evenings at 8.15 p.m. for Sermons of Grace. He's going through the book of Romans and very systematically teaching verse by verse scripture and expounding on it. And we would love for you to visit Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. It's located on Rowan Henry Street. Sunday school starts at 9 a.m. and the Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. And then on Sunday evenings, we're alternating. Uh, One evening is training for ladies, and the next evening is training for men. That starts at 6.30 p.m. And maybe you're working on Sunday and you're not able to join us on Sunday, but we'd love to have you visit on Thursday evening. Starting at 6.30 p.m., we have Bible study and prayer time alternating every other week. I believe this week is Bible study. Yeah. So we would love to have you visit Grace Baptist Church on Rowan Henry Street in Antigua this Thursday evening at 6.30 p.m. I want to add something, Nathan, that I should have mentioned when you, we were just recapping some of what we covered, is that this, this doctrine that we're talking about, doctrine of separation, we pointed out in the first uh, program that we had, it is not something new or novel. It is something that is consistently thought, taught from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and we were able to show in one of the first program that in the Old Testament, this was God's will for Israel to separate herself from the nations, the pagan nations, and uh, commit herself to God. And this this isolation or this this, this separation with Israel was not that Israel would not um, would not to interact, but what they wanted was that their holiness and their God and their pra- everything they had would draw people to the true and living God. Okay, they were what you call a cent- uh, centripetal force drawing in people. The church you now is a centrifugal force; it goes out with people, but it maintains its separation because God has called us to be holiness, to holy, to be holy, just as He called the Jews in the Old Testament. Again and again, we showed you both in the Old Testament and the New Testament that God calls us to a holy life and that we must separate from sin and unworthiness. I just thought I would mention that this is this has always been God's will for his people, whether Old or New Testament. You are mentioning the three types of separation. You mentioned separation from sin. What exactly is sin? In today's day and age, there are so many different perspectives on that. And how should believers relate to it? Well, when we talk about sin, um, I'm glad you mentioned that because a, a, a psychologist that wrote a book, and the, the, the title of the book um, I'll try to remember his name. It just escaped me just a moment. Whatever Happened to Sin? That was the title of his book. There's a psychologist who's writing a book, and he recognized that what psychology has done to the world, basically it has conditioned the world to uh, blame others for everything that happens to them, whether it be the environment, whether it's the past, it it doesn't matter. It has absolved people of responsibility. That has gone into the law courts, by the way, and that is why today uh, the criminal 
there's more sympathy for the criminal than it is for the, the innocent person who gets injured. Psychology has done that. The criminal is not responsible for what he did. It's the environment, the society that created that, etc., etc. He had some trauma when he was a little child in his mother's womb. All of this has conditioned uh, people's mind so that today the problem is we've lost the concept of sin because sin means responsibility. Sin means rebellion. Sin means that there's a standard that I have willfully violated that I know is right that I've gone against. That's what sin is. So in, in the scriptures, a lot of different words that are used for sin. Uh, one word means missing the mark here, martia. So God has set a high standard and we have fallen short of that standard. There's also a word for transgression. Transgression means that I know something, I'm told not to do something, and I willfully go against it. And that is where the law comes in. And the Bible tells us the law is not just in the Bible. The law is written in every man's heart. I uh, I mentioned uh, at one of our training sessions this week that you can deal with every man with two basic fundamental principles. I don't care who he is. I don't care what he says. Every man knows there's a God. Every man knows. The Bible says they're without excuse. Why? By what is created. There's no sensible, reasonable person can look at creation, the complexity of it. I just was doing a course, Nathan, and they told me that we got 80 billion neurons in my brain. I didn't billion say, with a B. Billion. I didn't say 80,000. 80 billion, just in my brain. These are like electrical connections, okay? Imagine that. There is no computer anywhere on planet Earth that is as complicated as the brain. To any man, if you tell a man that the computer just came into existence, he would tell you, you're a fool. But he has a greater computer in his brain than any of the world's computer, and yet he denies there's a designer. And then, of course, the DNA, which was just... um, the problem is, uh, I think they, they found out the configuration of it. It has enough information in there of all the botanical encyclopedias together. That amount, I'm going to say information, it's not as though it's just thrown apart. There's a logical sequence, see? That is why scientists are now moving to what's called intelligent design. Even evolutionists are now going to that. This, they're not saying it's a God, but intelligent. They realize that this is too complicated to have just happened, okay? Um, so I'm saying that when you're dealing with a man, two, two things, you know, he's, he knows he's a God, and number two, he knows right from wrong. God has put the law in his heart. So when I'm dealing with any man, he might say he's an atheist, he might say he's an agnostic, he's a skeptic, but deep within the psyche of this person, he's struggling. And remember, man's problem is not a mental problem. It's a moral problem, see? Mm-hmm. And uh, when you're dealing with that, you've got to deal with them. So let them give the facade that they don't, they don't have any age, they don't really care. Just give them the word. Just give them the word. Treat them as though they know they're sinners and they know that there's a God. Brother Williams, thank you for calling. And go ahead with your question, please. Good evening. Good evening. Good night. Good evening, sir. How are you doing? Not too bad on you. Yeah. Murphy. Yes, sir. I attain a uh, crusade. And the other prophet, this is from Africa. Uh-huh. And why did he preach? He called three people say about God telling to call three persons in the, in the, in the audience to give $20,000. Yeah. False prophet. Uh, yeah. Stop you right um, there. False prophet. And by the way, could I say this without even interjecting? Some of the richest people right now in Africa, you can go on the internet and search it, 
are preachers tremendously wealthy they are ripping off the people right left and center and uh, they are not to be trusted generally look I, I know that one of our churches was sending Bibles to Africa to a, a pastor giving it free of course he was turning around selling the Bibles to his people you believe that <laughs> so I'm just warning you've got to be very very aware uh, yes go ahead I'm sorry to interrupt you like that so go ahead yes and, and the man insists and a, a lady come and they would have had to give six thousand dollars you see that generously but he's clearly not the one that that was agreed twenty thousand dollars and insists uh-huh. and you know two people come up and put them in to give up that twenty thousand dollars yeah well, you can't help people or if they're foolish and, and, and there's just that's all. I, there's no other word to describe this. Okay, this this total folly, and that's how we see this. These are people that have no discernment and who are following a person rather than following the scripture. Okay, and I think that is one of the grievous errors that it's made. And look, the reason why a lot of people turn away from the church as well is a lot has to do with this thing this emphasis on money 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 how you turn on these things money my saucy 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 people are getting sick and fed up of it and then you bring some money to, to challenge the peoples uh, and to edify them and first thing they want now is money I mean people need to wake up what is going on and I don't know if there's a, a kind of scales over these people's eyes a kind of blindness that they can't see but they lack discernment in, the, in this respect um, so I'm <laughs> I didn't know they had so many silly people in Antigua that would have that kind of money at their disposal to just because a man said they must give $20,000 to give $20,000. I would have think the best thing to do with that is to feed the poor with that $20,000. Just give the church, listen, we're going to feed the poor for the next week. People who don't have a job, we provide a meal for them. It would have been better spent if it was used for that kind of a purpose. Or going to these, uh, like, fines. And decide to go to the, the, the wholesale place and say for the next year, send two boxes of chicken to fines to help feed those people. And you, you send vegetables. The money will be far better spent that way than the way that uh, it was done. And I, I can't, I believe, <laughs> I find it incredible to believe that uh, people are so brainwashed and so duped that they would just, because somebody says something, they do it. That doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, they just, I just think that those people are misled. If you'd like to make a call. Thank you very much for your call, Brother Williams. We appreciate it. Continue to encourage others to listen to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Maybe you have a question. We would love for you to call and ask it live on the air. Safe environment. We're not here to argue with you. The number to call to be put live on the air is 268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 268-782-1454. Pastor, you were talking about sin. Yeah. Look, I I, I think that people need to understand that um, man is responsible. A man uh, is a moral creature. That's how God made man in his own image. Man has willfully violated God's word, gone again. He's a rebel at heart. Uh, man is self-centered. He's selfish. He's egotistical. Uh, there are no words enough to describe humankind outside of Jesus Christ. Man is totally depraved in body, mind, and spirit. Totally depraved. And when Christ came, Christ came to deal with the sin problem. I repeat, he came to deal with the sin problem. And he dealt with the sin problem at three levels. He dealt with our guilt and our condemnation 
by taking our place and taking the penalty and the uh, that was due to us uh, so that we are saved now from the very penalty of sin. We don't have to fear hell any longer. He took all sin upon himself, okay? But he didn't only solve that problem. He also solved the problem of the dominating power of sin in our lives. It is one thing to have, and remember, even though he has saved us and forgiven us our sins, we still have the sin nature within ourselves. That sin nature would only be removed when we see Jesus and we become like him. So the sin nature is still there. But he took care of that by giving us what Peter said is the new nature to fight this sin nature. But in addition to that, he's given to us his spirit within us. But in addition to that, when Christ died on the cross, uh, God put us in Christ when we put our faith. And in our union with Christ, his death became our death. His resurrection became our resurrection. So at the point of salvation, when we are baptized into the body of Christ, we now have dead to sin. And what does that mean? It simply means that we are now separated from sin. There is a, a, a the, the new nature comes between the old between the sin nature, and it now acts as a barrier or a buffer between there. So we got the Holy Spirit, we got the new nature, and that now gives you the power to break this dominating sin in your life. So when people seem to be powerless and helpless and addicted and stuff like that, when Christ enters a life, the Holy Spirit begins to break that addiction. The new nature begins to break that addiction. Your union in Christ begins to break that addiction. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passing away in the Greek language, the linear tense. So there's a progressive sanctification that takes place. So he saves us from the penalty of sin. He also saves us from the power of sin. But it doesn't end there. He's one day going to save us from the very presence of sin. That's when he comes to return. return and the Bible said the body will be re resurrected and we shall be changed and transformed so that we are now removed completely from the presence of sin. So no one uh, that understands biblical salvation and understands why Christ came uh, should want to continuously live a lifestyle of sin. That doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. I'm not saying a believer can't sin because we do sin. John says that. If we say we have no sin, we, 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 we lie and go against the truth. But he also says that um, he that is born of God does not habitually practice sin. So you've got to balance this whole thing. Uh, so, but the Christian, though, because the believer is Christ has dealt with the sin problem, we must separate ourselves from sin as much as possible. And that's why um, if you look at uh, Ephesians 5, 8, uh, Nathan. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 8 says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Right. And light in the Bible, by the way, it's truth. Okay. It's not walking truth. You read John, you see that's why it's not walking truth. So you're not going to walk in darkness. Darkness is a, is a biblical symbol of sin. He's saying, no, you've been. You don't belong to the sin nature uh, controlled by sin or darkness any longer. You're now in the light. You're now in the realm of truth. Walk in truth. And then if you look at um, Ephesians four twenty two and twenty three, four twenty two and twenty three says. Put ye off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, 
and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You'll find that Paul mentions there, and uh, also in Colossians three five to ten. Uh, Colossians three five to ten. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth: fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil conspicuous. And covetousness. Thank you very much. Concupiscence. And covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created Biblical him. Biblical truth, okay, the believer is not to walk in darkness, he's to walk in light. But not only, he must put off the old man. He must now put on the new man. And by the way, if you put off and you don't put on, you'll never know victory. Yeah. So that is why um, Dr. J. Adams in his book, Competent Council and the Christian Council Manual, um, he has two parallel lines where he tells the believer what the Bible says to put off and what to put on. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful thing. That you can actually investigate that in the Scripture, put off, put on. Because if you just put off without putting on, you're not going to solve the problem. And that's why it's so important the Bible emphasizes. But notice you've got to take off the old man, which has to do with the sin nature and these things that we're doing that are wrong, and put on the, the, the new man, which is made after God in righteousness and holiness. Yes. Now, you were talking about how you say the Bible says that man is really just rotten. He, he doesn't have any good in him. But, Pastor, in the day and age that we live, if you walk up and you start a conversation or you answer someone's question or concern with that approach, you're just going to put up a barrier and a wall, and they're not going to hear anything you say. So why don't we make them feel good and then address the issue? Well, that's what positive thinking does. And this guy um, that owned Crystal Cathedral, I forgot his name right now, that wrote the book on positive thinking as well. Um, this is the emphasis. I, I read a book by him forever. He said, don't tell people that they're sinners. Uh, you don't make people feel bad. You make them feel good, etc., etc. <laughs> That's the complete opposite of what the Bible says. Uh, look, no one is going to want to see that the need of Christ until they're, met, they're, they're made to feel bad about their sin. Let me put it that way. You only need a physician when you recognize that you've got a problem. And if they don't see the problem, the physician is superfluous. You don't need the, 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 the physician. So when, you're de- physician. so when you're dealing with a person, you've always got to bring them to the point, if they're not a safe person, that they are sinners before God and they need forgiveness and pardon and they need Christ as Savior. So you have to emphasize sin with people. Um, I'm not quite, um, I mean, not worried about people offended when you tell them that, quite frankly. You just, remember, we're just the messenger. We don't make up scripture. <laughs> we're just telling them. When Christ came on the scene, what did he preach? Repent, the kingdom of When John the Baptist came on the scene, what did he preach? Repent. Repent. What did Paul preach to those at Acts chapter 7 at Mars Hill, the Athenians? Repent. God has commanded every man everywhere to repent. Okay? So we got to preach repentance. You can't preach repentance unless you have something to repent of. So it's got to be sin. You've got to deal with the sin, sin problem. So we have to get people to understand what sin is. Uh, and this is where I've said this in the pulpit. Um, I think sometimes people are fearful because of the emphasis of the law. 
especially with the SDA, that they talk about the law, you got to keep the That Christians got to understand that people don't know sin apart from the law. The law was given as a mirror to show people what sin is. So it's a proper use and the appropriate use of the law when you're dealing with evangelism to, to show people, well, this is what God's... If you, don't, if, you want to, if you want to be saved, you've got one of two choices. You keep the law perfectly or you turn to Christ who's kept the law for you. But let me tell you what the law says you must do. Now, can you do these things? No. Okay. So it must bring people to the point where they understand that I am broken. I need help. I can't come up to this standard because of my sin nature. But God has made provision for me in Christ. Um, I'm sorry, i got to You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at radiolighthouse.org. Currently at the Radio Lighthouse studio on this Tuesday evening. The time is 827. If you've got a question, we would love for you to call and ask it live on the air. 268-462-7420 is the number to call. I know I threw that at you quickly, so I'm going to go ahead and give it to you again. If you'd like to speak live on the air, you can call 268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, send it to 268 782 one four five four. Yeah, let's get back to what you're saying. Um, yeah, you've got two choices: either you try to fulfill the law yourself, which you can't do, or you take the provision God has made that Christ has taken your place, died in your place. And by the way, this is why He had to be man and God at the same time. He's the God Man. Okay, uh, we don't want to not have to elaborate on that, but that's why it's so important to do that. So, but. You have to deal with the sin problem. And we need to do, when we're doing evangelism, Nathan, is we've got to make sure people understand that when you come to Christ, you must be willing to repent of your sin. You know, if I'm, if I'm dealing with a man and a man is a drunkard, and he quite frankly has no interest in giving up his booze, it's a waste of my time uh, telling him to bow your head and put Christ in your heart. There has to be repentance. If I'm dealing with a person they're living in fornication and adultery, they have no interest of ending that relationship. It's useless of me telling that person, just bow your head and put uh, Jesus coming to your heart. It is mockery to do that. There must be repentance and there must be faith. You must have those two, it's two sides of one coin. You can't have one without the other. And the mistake that has been constantly made by evangelical churches is that in order to get people to make a decision, we tell them to trust Christ, but we haven't emphasized the repentance aspect of it. So that's why I say this, and I say this. By the way, I read um, Leonard Ravenhill. I was reading him. He said these words, frightening words. He says he doubts. I'm telling what he said, that 5% of people in churches today are saved. 5%, that's what he said. Wow. It shocked me. I thought He, he thinks was, it's lower than that? No, he said 5% wow. uh, as a, who is saving in, 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 when he looks at the modern church and the way it is. I mean, I don't take his words lightly, but I thought it was to be much higher than that, to be honest. That means 5%? Wow. But that gives you an idea because, you know, he's done a lot of work in revival and stuff like that. And the reality is that I think that there are people who just think that they're bowing their head and just saying, and there's no repentance, no change in their life. Or they go and join the church, and they take communion, they get baptized. Presto, I'm headed for glory. That is a delusion. The Bible says repentance towards God 
repentance from sin and faith towards God. That is what constitutes salvation. And there's no salvation without repentance and without faith. If you have faith but no repentance, you don't have true biblical faith. You must have repentance and faith. So I'm not here to dispute that 5% sure. number. Uh, but if that was the case, how can we say that Christianity has changed the world? Well, it has changed the world in the sense that, uh, for example, our educational system that we have in the Caribbean, in the world, quite frankly, has changed the world in terms of the culture, education, music, some of the best music in the world, uh, Bach, all those kind of guys, that influenced the music. Um, Science. All the great scientists that laid the foundation of modern science were Christians, all, okay? Um, So in that sense, they changed the world. It has changed the world morally too as well, because in spite of the fact that there may not be as many real Christians in the church. There's no question about that Christianity, uh, for example, there used to be infanticide in, in, in the Roman Empire. You take a child and you don't want the child, especially if it was a girl, you just throw it on the tree. Christianity mm-hmm. changed that. In India, when Christianity went to India, when a husband died, his wife was burned on her uh, uh, pyre. I mean, burned alive. But he, Christianity changed all of that, right? So it is. it has changed the world, no question about that. But again, his figure, I think, in my judgment, I think it is, is, is too low. I don't think it's that. But I do feel that there are a lot of people who have been misled. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of lot of a lot of people, Nathan, are depending on baptism. They're depending on joining the church. They're depending on saying prayers to Mary, saying prayers to a saint. They're depending on this on the sacraments. This is what they build their whole life on, and they're in for shock. Because if you haven't repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can't get in because He's the only door, and you're in the wrong way because He's the only way, and you're following falsehood because He's the only truth, and you have no life because He's the only life. That is the reality, and we have to get people back to understanding uh, this matter of sin is, is what Christ came to save. Now, if He came to save us from sin, how then do we want to continue living in sin as though there's no change? That that makes absolutely no sense to me. There's no logic, no reason to that. And that is why the Bible calls us to separate from sin and get about. Look also at uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews chapter, chapter 12, 12. verse 1. And verse 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is before us. Two things you must tell us to lay aside, put aside. And uh, the weight and sin. I remember that he's using here the imagery of running a race. And we all know that when you're running a race, you want as light equipment as possible. You want your shirt, if you've got one, to be light, the pants, whatever it is, the shoes to be light, just whatever it is. And he's saying that we're in a Christian, like in a Christian race. And what weighs the Christian down are two things. The weight and the sin. And he said, let's get rid of those two things. So uh, we got to lay those things aside. A weight is something that is not sin in itself. But it is; uh, it doesn't help with the progress of the Christian in his growth. Um, I mean, I can 
think of several things, for example, a person who becomes addicted to these games, electronic games. I mean, we can't say it is sin in the sense that it's wrong to play that kind of thing, but you come to the point where you're so addicted that you don't have time for Bible reading, no time for prayer, no time for church, no time for your family. It now enters the realm of sin, but at first it's a weight. But it can become a sin, right? There are other things that we can do that are not sinful in themselves, but take over our lives to the extent where we don't have time for God. Uh, I might use this again. Your work could be a, a, a weight, right? Nothing wrong. You got The Bible says if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an infidel. But your work could take up so much of your time that you lose your family. You don't have time for church. You don't have time for Christian work, nothing, etc. Et that which was once a weight, now becomes a sin because Can ministry become a way? Oh yeah. <laughs> There's no question about that. As a matter of fact, if you talk to most pastors' wives, they will tell you quite frankly that um my my husband just don't seem to have time. And that's a reality, I'm telling you, it's a reality. It's it's just uh I don't know how to put it, but that's a reality. If you're doing the ministry and you're studying as you should and doing what you should, I don't know how you find time to do a lot of things that I have a hobby and I can't even get to do my hobby. <laughs> you know, my hobby is I like to tickle around with electronics, right? But I've got, I got units that uh, I, I got there now for two years, three years, four years, five years. I haven't even even looked at, at even a, a capacitor, <laughs> a resistor, nothing at all. Just don't have time for it. But uh, it can, it can, and uh, pastors have to balance the, the ministry, and it's a very, very difficult balancing act. The good thing about me is that I'm a home person. I would rather be home than any other place on planet Earth. That's the honest truth, right? I don't like to travel, basically. I'm just a home person. Uh, in that sense, my presence is there. But I do think that um, the going out and stuff like that, um, I'm very deficient in that aspect of it, so I'm confessing. <laughs> <laughs> Confession is good for good the soul, Pastor. Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. It is a live, interactive call-in program here for your benefit. We look forward to your interaction. You can call and ask your question live on the air by calling 268-462-7420, or you can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. We've got about 25 minutes left in this episode of That's Truth. Maybe you're listening to the podcast of the program, no matter when you're listening to it, thank you for making it part of your daily schedule. And we would love for you to still send in your question. You can send it via WhatsApp or text message, even though there may not be anyone in the studio at the time that you send the question. We will answer it, Lord willing, at the next live episode that we have. And you can send that via WhatsApp or text message to 268 782 do you have anything else you want yeah, to mention? I, I about? want us to go to Ephesians um, chapter five, verse eleven and twelve. Okay, Ephesians five eleven and twelve says, "And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret." Now, go to verse three and seven. You see what those things are—the works of darkness. Verse three to seven. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not once be named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Verse 5, For this ye know, 
that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So clear. You stay away from And in order to sing the tongue, fornication. What's one of the most common sins in the world and in the church? Fornication, immorality. And the Bible Paul it, don't even let it be once mentioned among you. Uh, and it's very, very clear that we stay away from these things. And God, what I can't understand is why people say they're Christians and they have no self-control. Hmm. And the fruit of the Spirit is what? Temperance. One of the words, self-control. It enables you to control yourself. So when people say, I, I don't see the... I think a lot of these people, quite frankly, just don't know what salvation is about. Hmm. They've never really experienced a genuine conversion. So because the kind of excuses they offer today doesn't make it... Then, put it on uncleanness. It's, this word, by the way, has to do with licentiousness and sensuality. It's, it's again. It's a sexual sin, but it's not fornication. It's evil thinking. It's it's uh, having desires that you don't fulfill. You're sensual. A person who's everything they say. I remember one time um, I knew of a guy that everything that came out of his mouth was something that was salacious. Hmm. I mean, he, if he's talking agriculture, something salacious. He talking sports. Everything somehow he had to come back to deal with some sexual issue. He was so corrupt in his mind that that was his. That's what we mean by uncleanness, morally unclean. And then covetousness has to do with greed, materialism, etc. Filthiness is an interesting word, by the way. That means obscenity. Uh, that word also means anything that's disgraceful and shameful. This is what we call in carnival. You ever see? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, see, you ever see? <laughs> you can't help seeing it if you see right. the news, right? Yeah. That is carnality. That is shameful, indecent, obscene behavior. That's what the Bible says. Christians don't. You know, there's a um, in Barbados, the Catholic Church. They have something called um, um, crop over in Barbados. The Catholic Church has their own band that partakes. It's like carnival here in Antigua. I mean, I can't believe. And they do it because they say it's a culture. Well, you don't follow everything in culture. There are things that are culturally object, uh, objectionable for the Christian. And the Bible tells you what those things are. And that is one of them. We don't get get involved with those kinds. And we don't only dare, uh, again, as, as far as that is concerned. And then it talks about foolish talking. That's the word means uh, idle talk. Uh, and, uh, and so on. Then jesting has to do with uh, coarse language, ribaldry, what we'll talk with. And then um, warmongering is the word, we get the word porne from, and it has to do with prostitution, it has to do with harlotry, and then of course idolatry has to do with putting things before God. Paul said these are all works of darkness, and we as Christians must have no fellowship, no communion whatsoever with these things. That's why we separate from these things, right? We should not be involved in these kind of activities. And we should not allow the cultural um, um, voices, whether it be the media, the radio, television, or some other leading political figure or some important person, to, uh, in other words, make us feel embarrassed that we, we're not part of culture because we don't get involved in these kind of activities. We don't get involved in these because God said we shouldn't. 
and we must obey God rather than man. So there are cultural things. For example, if they were to have a, um, like Christian Valley, sometimes they have th- you go down there and they have a cooking and you can buy fruits and stuff like that. I could be part of that. I can go mm-hmm. down there and do that and stuff like that. I mean, that's part of the culture. But I, I can't be part of this carnival thing with these shameful way of acting and stuff like that. So uh, Christians must not buy into the idea that because you're not culturally engaged in everything of culture, therefore you dislike culture. Absolutely not. But we must let the Bible be the standard by which we make the decision in respect to what we get engaged in. And then one other... Um, uh, if you look at Galatians five nineteen to twenty one, uh, just to read that, Galatians five nineteen to twenty one says, "Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these: adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, that is, I, if I was a person engaging in reveling, for example, he said, he, listen, he said, I tell you, I told you before, people who practice this thing will not inherit the kingdom of God. And if you will not inherit the kingdom, it simply means you're not saved. That's what it means. Okay? So I don't know how people can read scripture like that, engage in all of these kind of activities, and it's a normal part of their lifestyle, and then somehow obliviously believe that they're on their way to heaven. I mean, Paul warned you. I told you before, I'm telling you now. See? But what has happened, I think, is that we, in attempt to be relevant, in attempt uh, to not to be seen, to be isolationist, uh, I think we soften the Christian message to people, hoping that somehow we can engage them and that they will turn to, to Christ, etc., etc. But if they turn to Christ still with their sin, it's a bogus transformation. It's not real. And we need to get back to teachings. You know, John MacArthur wrote a book, The Gospel According to Jesus. I wish people would read that. And a lot of people say that he was a, um, uh, I forgot the, uh, the term that is used, uh, but they are offended that he made it very clear that there's a type of faith that is saving faith and a type of faith that is not safe. And he believes that when a person is saved, there must be change. If a person doesn't have any change, so they were, I forgot, they, they really lambasted him. I can't uh, think of the uh, term you're yeah, looking yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, shoot, I forgot the term again. He I doesn't was asked about in, it at my ordination council. Yeah, he doesn't believe in easy believism. Yeah. That's what he doesn't believe in. And he believes that when a person comes to faith in Christ, you're not just coming to get to go to heaven. You're making a commitment to Christ to serve Him and to live for Him in order to become His disciple. That's what salvation is, right? It's nothing less than that. But because he wrote this book, and uh, those who are so, um, th- you know, just believe that you just tell a guy bow his head and pray and he's saved, <laughs> they attack the man without going back to Scripture to see if the Scripture says that or not. And that is where I, I, I'm, I'm very much in line with his principles vis-a-vis what true genuine salvation is all about.
I'm going to read those three verses sure, if you're sure, okay sure. with it in a modern translation. Go ahead. Uh, revelings and all, that's not a word we would use in okay, 2022, but Galatians 5, 19 to 21 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I have warned you before, that those that do these things will not inherit the kingdom of yeah. God. And the important thing in that passage is in the linear tense, those who are practicing these things. Okay. It's not that the person can't be guilty of any of these things, but it's not his lifestyle. And that's the difference that we need to understand. That's why, for example, I do not believe that a man can be a homosexual and a practicing homosexual and be a Christian. Now, a person can have homosexual desires and not fulfill them and be a Christian. But to tell me that you are a, a born-again believer and you are practicing homosexuality, I can't buy it, can't buy it. The Holy Spirit has to be indwelling in you. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. He's responsible for Scripture. He can't contradict himself. Uh, and so, but again, people are afraid to make those kind of bold statements, Nathan. And they, they think that if you do that, you are hate monger, you uh, believe in uh, homo- you're homophobic, you're intolerant, you know. I'm as intolerant as the Bible is intolerant, I'm as loving as the Bible is loving, but I'm not going to cut my message or, or, or soften the message in order to ingratiate myself into the favor of anybody. We must preach the Word, we must teach the Word as the Word is, and we must not try to um, in any way soften the Word by diluting it uh, in any way. And I think that Today, I would say this, peace people become so accustomed to softness, you're not almost going to give them something abrasive to really get their attention, right? Uh, and that's why the prophets of old spoke so strongly. Uh, as a matter of fact, there are some parts in Isaiah and, uh, and uh, Jeremiah is some things that he said, quite frankly, I wouldn't even say them, to be honest with you. I'm serious. I've seen something like I said, man, that language is pretty, pretty. But people don't understand the imagery that is being portrayed, right? Uh, but I don't go, go down that line. I'm just saying that the scriptures are very, very clear that the believer is to separate himself from sinful activities and sinful addictions and sinful habits. Uh, this is, it's, it's crucial to understand that that's our responsibility and the Holy Spirit works with us but we must cooperate with the Holy Spirit to bring about change in our lives Lordship salvation is that, what you that that's the term that was being that's used that he believes in Lordship salvation and again uh, I don't know how anybody can want Jesus as Savior not want him as Lord I don't know mm-hmm. how it's possible believe on who? The Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. Not believe in Jesus, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul asked the question as conversion, Who art thou, Lord? Right? So I don't know how I can... I mean, I can just tell my, myself, when I got saved, it was a total commitment in my life to the Lord. I was so glad I got my sins forgiven. Who else can I serve but the Master? I wasn't thinking that I would get saved and go to heaven and I can live as I live. That thought could never pass my mind. And I don't know how people could come to faith in Jesus Christ with the idea, I'll get saved tonight, but I'm going back to tomorrow and do the same thing. That, to my mind, is not real. That's not authentic. The Holy Spirit will transform your mind and change your mind. And people need to, to be given the message that that's what repentance, repentance means to turn around. 
I'm going in one and doing something, and I ch- I, I'm willing. It doesn't mean that I'm going to be perfect, Nathan. But when I come to Christ, I understand that I'm turning away from my sin. I'm not coming to Christ knowing that I'm gonna, I plan to continue my sin. Right? And that's why I say to people that people who get saved, most of them will tell you that there was a besetting sin, something they were doing that they just didn't want to give up. They heard the gospel several times, Nathan, and they wanted to be saved. But at the time when the Spirit convicted, they now said, they said, you know what? I could care less. I don't want to continue to do That is what I mean by conviction. And I think everybody who is saved should be able to say that there was something there that I didn't want to give up. But I was willing to surrender finally. Lord, I'm willing to, to give this thing up. I think that is what it's all about. It's about repentance. Uh, there has to be repentance and there had to be faith. For the listener who says, Pastor, I hear you and I have repented and I'm a born-again believer, but I'm struggling with addiction. What advice do you have for me? I would say to you, several. I mean, there's several things I can give you. Very practical details on and stuff like. That. For example, if you are addiction addicted to anything, what triggers it? So you're going to have to try to find out what triggers it. Uh, you might have to restructure your life. For example, I remember there was a guy one time who was addicted to the um, movies. I mean, watching any kind of movies, and no matter what he does, he just found himself. And finally, when under counseling, he was so you need to restructure. What do you mean by restructuring? Here was his problem. Every time he's driving home from work, guess where he passes? The movies. He sent him all the time. So the guy said, is it not a route? Yeah, it's not a route. If you don't, because that is where, where you're triggered. That's your trigger. You've got to try and deal with that. Okay, so you've got to deal with that, that part of addiction. The, the other thing... Um, would be get back into Romans chapter 6 and see exactly what the Bible teaches about what happened to you when you were baptized into the body of Christ uh, that you became dead to sin and you were raised to newness of life that at the point you were baptized into the body of Christ the new nature became became, became came between you and the, and the the old nature and that should give you the victory so you need that. The other thing that, uh, I mean, there's several other things. For example, uh, David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart, and I said against you. You have to get into the word. So it's the spirit and the word will help you. Uh, and then you might need to have an accountability partner. Somebody that when you are tempted, you give them permission. They give you permission to call me, no matter what time it is. Let's talk about this thing, etc., etc. This is not going to happen that you're going to have a, a, a 100% break immediately. But by systematically desensitizing you to this addictive process, there's hope. And then your mind, above everything else, is going to have to be renewed with your mind. And that might involve listening to good Christian music, uh, listen to the Bible read. Your mind will be transformed. I, I forgot the poet uh, that I read in uh, Frontline magazine, uh, uh, who was, I, I can't remember his name, but he was mentally um, mal- He was put in a, an asylum. And how I think it was William Cooper, I think it was his name. Okay. Yeah, I think what he did, he was mentally ill in the in the in the in, the, in, in asylum mental institution, and he got hold of a Bible and started reading, and it somehow reconfigured his thought patterns, and that's how he became such a great poet. But he was a madman in, in an asylum. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It has an effect. Jesus said, "The words I speak to you are life." 
they're living. It can have effect on changing the mind, your thought pattern. So you need to get the Word in there. And of course, you need to find yourself in a good church where you could meet with other believers, etc., etc. Those are just some basic helpful things. Sorry, go ahead. Codrington, thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question very quickly, please. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to um, be very quickly and be with my question. When Jesus Christ was, um, was um, on the cross, so, and he, he looked under um, his mother, he said, mother. Remember, he used the word mother because he know that he sees mother underneath the cross. So he said, mother, behold your son. Uh-huh. And then he said, son, behold your behold mother. Your mother. Uh-huh. So that's why um, what we're trying to say now. And uh, the son, wherever we be holding her mother now, the son was her, was the disciple. John, that was John. Disciple John. He was commending his mother into the care of John because he was now crucified. And he was saying to John, she is now, take care of, your, take care of my mom uh, and treat her as your mom, basically what he's saying. So he's asking John to take his mother Mary under his care because in his absence, someone needs to be taken care of. So even though on the cross, the, the, the lesson you're missing is this. Even though on the cross, his love for us was so real that even though he's not even thinking about his own death, he's thinking about the care of his mother. That shows you how tender and affectionate he is. And John took her and she now became... Uh, his mother and he became her son in the sense that he took care of her and performed a motherly role and he performed a son's role. That's what it's about, Cartesian. Now, does that give, uh, does that mean that we as Christians, followers of Christ, should view Mary as our mother? Absolutely not. I mean, we have one father, we have no mother. Okay, God is our father. Okay, so we have no mother. Jesus Christ is, is, is called our brother in the Lord, but we don't have any mother. Uh, our mother's our real mother. As a matter of fact, you remember Jesus told the disciples, don't, don't call any man father as well? So I don't believe in calling priest father, <laughs> to be very honest with you. But that is the very thing he said we ought to do, this exact thing we're doing, okay? But uh, Mary c- cannot save anybody. Mary said, I rejoice in God my Savior. The only people who need a savior is a sinner. Mary was not immaculately conceived. Mary was a sinner like anybody else. And she found and put her faith and trust in God's son, who God sent as a redeemer. She happened to be the human vessel that was the agent through which Christ came into this world. But um, she can't save anybody. Mary is not any queen of heaven. Mary is not assumed and taken out directly to heaven. All of that is mythology. It's not part of the scriptures. The fact is, if Mary was alive today, I will tell everybody, he would, she would say exactly what she told those people in, in uh, John chapter 2. Whatever he say to you, do it. In other words, if Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no man can defy, believe what he says. If he said, if you pray in my name, I believe in that, right? That is what she would say today. She was alive on planet Earth. It's unfortunate that we've turned Mary into a culted figure 
and almost made her co the co-redemptrix and the co-mediatrix with Christ. That's what the Catholic believe. That's what they teach. It's one of the gravest and most grievous errors. And unfortunately, there are people who believe that and depending upon that, who are going to meet the greatest disappointment in life because they're trusting Christ plus Mary and not Christ alone. Codrington, thank you very much for listening to That's Truth. Thanks for calling in with your question. Pastor, as we wrap up this episode, how does an individual get a right relationship with God? I know some people use Christian terminology. They say, how do you become a believer? How do you become a Christian? But how do you have a right relationship with God? Well, when you see the the right relationship, it means that uh, you recognize the fact that there is a separation between God and man, which they need to be reconciled back together. And the Bible says that it is through Christ that God has reconciled us to himself. So you can't have a relation with God apart from being reconciled to God through putting your faith into it. So that's the first thing. A person has to come to the point where they are willing to repent of their sins, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That begins the process of the initial process. We have access, the Bible says, by Him. Through Him we have access. After that now, there has to be growth in a person which comes with prayer, the reading of the Word, being part of the body of Christ, and sharing our faith. In the last 30 seconds, for an individual who says, Pastor, I recently became a Christian, I recently accepted the Lord as my Savior, where should I begin reading my Bible? I would recommend the Gospel of John. I think that's one of the simplest Gospels, but it also is one of the most profound because it talks about Christ and His deity. That's where I would recommend you begin, the Gospel of John. Thank you very much for joining us for this episode of That's Truth. Be sure that you tune in next week, Lord willing, as we continue this topic of separation. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's Truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.